Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. At Evolution, we are committed to helping people and Nordic tech organizations realize their potential. Our goal is to develop deep relationships with individuals, building trust to making doing business easier. I'm Wahid from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, and today I am your host. Today, I'm joined by Francesca from Stora Enzo, Adina from Electrolux, Isaac from uh, Accenture, uh, and last but not least, Antonio from Capital. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Francesca, would you like to kick us off? Sure. Thank you, Wahid, and thank you for the invitation. So my name is Francesca Valentini, and I work as Director of Data at Stura Enzo. Before this, I was leading the data science team, the central data science team at Stura Enzo, and I have a background as a data scientist. So I've been working very hands-on in different industries, so B2C, public sector, and then a big industrial company. Thanks for that, Francesca. Um, Adina? Hello, everyone. Hi, Vahid. I'm Adina Manishor. I am the head of data and analytics product organization for Electrolux, and I have spent my entire career in data and analytics, um, leading teams um, into this journey, starting from the ancient world of reporting up to data science uh, today. And I have been working with uh, many big companies on, uh, on, on this journey. Thanks for that, Adina. Isaac? Thanks, Wahid. Uh, my name is Isaac Kabir. I am a data science manager at Accenture Sweden. I have a background as an IT engineer, and I prefer working both hands-on, but also leading teams in building machine learning models. My biggest passion in life is exploring food while traveling. Amazing. Thanks for that, Isaac. And last but not least, Antonio. Hey, thank you, Arif, for having me. Uh, thank you for everybody that's here with us. Well, uh, I'm Antonio. I'm a computer scientist and economist. I work currently as head of data at Capital. Capital is a fintech company. Uh, that ex that help people save more money and activity go fast. Well, uh, I used to work for different uh, startups, some startups that I found and I, later on I sold. And but since the beginning, uh, I tried to mix data and product uh, in that space, especially in fintech space. Amazing. Thanks for that, Antonio. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Now that we've established a context to each of you, let's move on to the topic of focus. You all have a question or statement on effective management in data science. As usual, I'll work around the room asking each of you to pose your question and the reasoning behind it. Francesca, would you like to kick us off? Sure, thank you. So my question is, how do you create value with data science and how do you measure it? And the context is very much around the way of working. I don't know if you have been in a situation where you've been in a data science team and you have got some requests, maybe from your stakeholders, sometimes very blurry. And then the data scientists being working in isolation, they have tried to deliver something, but then, you know, not really value was realized. So how to kind of overcome this pro problem? And something that I found, at least with my experience, very effective was actually two key elements. So the first one was actually establishing a co-creation with the stakeholders. So creating meaning uh, establishing uh, cross-functional teams where the data scientists would be part of. So for example, data scientists, then the stakeholder defining the problem, as well as let's say a technical person that would know how to find the data, for example, how to extract it. And this has been really key in understanding each other, defining the problem. So since the very beginning, working together. So this has been one. And the second one has been working in iterations. So having quick pace and trying to deliver a prototype 
first to kind of prove the value of a certain solution so that, you know, not to wait uh, maybe months before actually starting to see some results, but rather working in two weeks, seeing can we actually achieve some results, what are the obstacles or which kind of feedback we can get and how we could improve our solution. So these two have been kind of a winning combination of ways of working. Then there are, of course, many other factors, but those two are, have been the most important ones. And then uh, going back to how to measure then the, the value, of course, there are many measures on the results of the model. So, for example, monetary value or how many people use the solutions and how many people benefit from the solutions, how many models make it to production. But something that we have also emphasized a lot in, in my teams has been the learning aspect and coming back then to the cross-functional teams as well. So how what did we all learn from this? projects or experience has been key metric and that allowed also us to measure not only the value of the projects that were successful but also those that failed so this has been actually one way also to measure value for us but what do you think if i can uh, comment here this this reminds me a bit of um, of a quote of a fairly famous movie that uh, it, it, it goes in my home country that says something like this an outstretched hand that doesn't tell a story receives nothing. Just like that, the solution, whether it's a data science um, use case or pretty much anything in the data world, if it, gives, if it gives no story, if it gives no insight, no value to the business, is doomed. So being linked to an actual value for the business, being it revenue generation, cost reduction, or increased satisfaction of the customer or consumer of, of the business, it doesn't have a place in, in, in the world. Now, there are a few strategies that I, I came across and I found to be quite uh, quite useful. And I absolutely agree with you, Francesca, their co-creation is key, is a key component of, for this to work. Otherwise, we build something and then we are trying to convince the business, please start using it. And it's more <laughs> a fight for adoption rather than, uh, and for survival implicitly, rather than, um, this is the value that you can you can you can immediately get out of the solution. The second thing I would say is to have a proper prioritization process in place because we need to move, and it's same for the company I'm working with, and I'm sure it's valid is valid for everybody. We need to move away from building use cases for people that scream the loudest and actually build use cases for with the biggest value, with the biggest impact that has an organ on an organization. And being able to have to put the right blockers in place, if, if we can call it like that, in the process to avoid that, I think that is absolutely brilliant. It saves a lot of money for the company, a lot of headache for the, for the teams, and actually increases the motivation of the people as well, because they get to work on things that are being used, not that are decommissioned one month after we release them. This, the third thing I would say, it's around having the right organizational design as well because the cross-functional element, people being able to, to reach out to their colleagues and ha have that co-creation empowered is actually based on how we design the organization, how are being structured, how are the different functions with the operating model and so on and so forth, and having an organization centered more on delivering impact rather than delivering features or use cases. Education is the other element that we need to keep in mind because is the learning, is the continuous learning. And it's also one of the things, again, that motivates the people to stay with, with our organization. And you, you mentioned measurement. Well, we are in the world of OKRs, so nothing should be done without uh, being able to, to measure it. So having the right OKRs, having a coach within the organization that can help the organization get there. And I see all these things that I mentioned about, they are like levers. If, you, if we don't dial up all of them, then there's no way we can achieve value. If, if you dial up just one, if we say, okay, we're all for co-creation, but you, you completely ignore the other ones, nothing is going to happen because the co-creation is not going to be organic. It's just going to be something for some people entering the room and, okay, now we need to do something because someone else somewhere in the organization told us to do, to, to do it. Yeah, and I could build up on top of what you already said, Adina. I think reviewing like the prioritization of the use case are very important. So to understand the uh, the benefits and the impact that they can have, but also 
uh, I would say a step before that would be a use case validation step. So identifying the end user, being able to identify the KPIs that you will measure whilst you're working on the model, and also understanding where in the organization does the model and solution fit. So if you have that stakeholder buy-in, as you mentioned, Valentini, uh, in the beginning, I think that you you really captured the, the problem with defining the value, but also measuring it. And I think that we all have uh, spoken about like the monetary value, but also like the uh, user satisfaction. You can use like NPS score to understand whether it creates value or not, employee efficiency, etc. But in the end of the day, it's quite hard uh, to measure those uh, as a real numbers. I think revenue, how can you uh, go back in time and actually see that it actually increased revenue or not? Uh, but I think like, as you also mentioned about uh, the, the, the softer uh, measures such as um, learning skills, uh, but also, um, uh, for example, like yeah, lessons learned is also like a soft skill that you build, but it's not maybe measurable in terms of like um, monetary value, but it's that's also something you gain throughout. Also learning is, uh, it's important. It's, it's possible to measure as monetary value. What I, what I think is when you learn something, you're able to speed up the next step. You don't make the same mistakes. And uh, we, when we, when you do that, uh, you spend less hours from your uh, team and uh, you can be more precise or reduce the rework that you have to do or whatever, or understanding. So it could be measured. Uh, say, hey, if we learn, we speed up the process. Instead of I do that in 10 hours, maybe I will do it in eight hours because I already know uh, how to do and the pitfalls that I, uh, it, can, it can have. Uh, in that sense, you also can measure uh, impact, financial impact, because your team become more productive, right? Uh, that's the way that I, I look for learning and how I pitch learning <laughs> inside of organization to say, hey, it is possible because uh, it's a, one way to become more efficient, especially currently in fintech, in, not in fintech space, but in startup space. Uh, what happened right now is we have moved from growth at any cost to efficiency. Right, uh, you have to do less with uh, more with less, and uh, because, you know, try to do things to move the needles and etc. In the past, we can be a little uh, not so conscious about that. Currently, there's no space for it. You have to uh, become very, very smart and uh, organize things in order to prove the results and etc. Uh, but one thing that I always like to do and uh, also to save time and you uh, users help us to measure the impact is work in fact with uh, the stakeholders because in a, the company that i used to work is a small company so eventually data literacy is not the uh, the thing that uh, everybody has inside of the company so uh, use the data scientist or data analyst work with the stakeholder create a scope the right problem and uh, how to measure successful, coach them how to measure successful and how you can really uh, create a kind of ROI metric for that. It's important, but it is the beginning uh, in that partnership between business and data team. That for me, it's a key uh, to achieve the successful, right? Uh, because in that moment that you can explain some limitations for the stakeholders, because sometimes they believe that everything's you know, we do some magic in the That is no, uh, there's science behind of that. That's that's some uh, process that you have to uh, to do in order to achieve some uh, some results or analyze some results. So that part for me is crucial. And uh, also that part is nice because when you explain the first time for the stakeholders or start to work with them the first time, they start to learn. And the next time that you, you interact with them, they already know something. The data literacy from them, it's increased and also reduce the time that you have to uh, spend, explain things and et cetera. So the learning part, it's extremely important, valuable to measure off how efficient uh, you uh, become and 
how to do that before we start how uh, how long to take some kind of jobs you can create your baseline and after that you can show for the stakeholders uh the improvement and the impact on the on the uh, bottom line and of course kind of experimentation tests or products that also developed can impact directly but some of them you don't have kind of direct impact that is the the challenge sometimes to show to the stakeholders thanks thanks for that question francesca um adina uh, can you share your question and give some context around it Yes, I want to share a challenge which I'm sure everybody will recognize um, and relate to. Irrespective of the company that we work for, we see the same thing. So we are in different stages in, in, in our journey with data science. Yeah, And often we find ourselves wanting to do more, wanting to run while we barely crawl in some areas. And not being ready due to data quality, due to data availability or platforms or the strategy, there are many different reasons why we're not there yet. Even so, what we see, there are very talented, very smart people out there, data scientists, and we all want to get them. We fight for them with teeth, with claws, and we want to, once we get them, we want to keep them. So what I want to ask you is, what are the different strategies that you have found to be working in talent acquisition and retention? In, in such a competitive field of data science, how do you attract a really great data scientist and you keep him engaged and motivated so he doesn't jump the boat? What I have discovered, and I'm sure is not the perfect recipe, but at least there are a few, few points that, uh, that work. There is no secret that this field is one hot one and people are being headhunted on a daily basis. A data scientist receives at least 10 jobs minimum throughout the year. If it's a person with experience, even more, I would say. But I also found that people are motivated by different things. So it's not just about the money. It's not about who pays more. It's actually about who is able to make the job more attractive. And as a leader, I think there are several things that we can do. Even if we're not 100% ready in our strategy, we can't give the silver plate to our data scientists to make them work on the most amazing, most brilliant use cases. What we can offer is actually the first thing is transparency. We need to be honest with them. We need to explain the journey we're in. We need to, to have a very clear vision so they understand where they are and how they can contribute or even influence the, the different steps that we, we want to take with the organization. We mentioned before knowledge sharing, um, and I think that's a very important one, especially having a, a creating an organization with a growth mindset. People stay because they want to learn. And I think that is fairly common across all the different roles, especially in the data science, especially in this field that is so fast growing and so many new things coming coming in and new tools and new platforms. But it's not just about working with um, with the newest toy, but it's about how you, 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 you use that as well. And it's also about the competence. Get a great data scientist and put him in a team that doesn't have the necessary knowledge. He will end up being the one teaching the rest which in some cases works if the person has that kind of passion. But in, in many situations, this kind of resources, this kind of people, they want to work. They want to do the they want to do the the, the, the the use cases. They want to create the value. And I would say throughout my entire career, um, people have not resigned, as I said, because of money or because of the, the, the work, actually because of the environment. So having interesting use cases, getting them involved, getting them on board into the strategy, even use them to define the strategy, it will keep them engaged. And I would say a big no-no is to use these people as Power BI developers or different kinds of visualization tool developers or data engineers. How is it for you? This has been a challenge, <laughs> exactly, <laughs> because keep people motivated uh, and uh, retain that talent uh, inside of the organization. Uh, it's very, very, very complex. Uh, what I'm trying to do uh, inside of Capital is uh, be very transparent with them and uh, show what the organization want to be and that they have a clear uh, career path inside of the company, right? Uh, because uh, in my one-on-one -on -one with them, most of them say, okay, but what is be the next, right? Uh, show that they have that possibility to grow. Uh, it's important. And that's one way to keep them 
motivated and etc another thing that is uh, that for me works in a different experience was sometimes the data science team become a little isolated uh, inside of the company especially when you work remotely right so try to bring them to inside of the company try to bring them uh, to the other colleagues, is create that kind of bridge that they feel like home, right? I used to create a one thing that I call a data talk that is a bi-weekly, uh, look like TED talk <laughs> about what the data team are doing and show up for everybody and show that faces, right? Uh, show who is responsible to build that amazing machine learning project that reduce our cost of acquisition in 50%. Who is that person? Behind that result, there's one person that deserves to be recognized by that. Give that recognition its important uh, tool to keep them motivated. And I agree with you that uh, sometimes it's not about money that they jump in one, from one company to another. Sometimes the salary is quite the same, a little bigger, and uh, you have room to, <laughs> to improve that, uh, to cover that offer, but they jump uh, not because that. They jump because the project. They jump because they don't feel that they can deliver inside of your company the same things, and say, unfortunately, I can't stay because X and Y company offer me that. So uh, the transparency, career path, be uh, put that person uh, feel like home. Uh, it's I know that uh, it uh, looks like a buzzword, but uh, I try to create an environment that my team, data scientists, analysts, and uh, data engineers can go together and feel like family, literally, uh, understand and help. And they see how their job is important for a whole company. And the company also understand their jobs, uh, understand how valuable is data. Uh, and the trick that it is not that easy as a lot of people think that is, you know, science behind of that. That's uh, the way that I try to work to keep and retain uh, that talent. And sometimes it could not work. Uh, most of them work, but it's very uh, hard for the organization when we spend uh, time with that uh, data scientist or engineers. Uh, they know a lot and they love the company. The cost for the company is extremely high, and um, what I try to show currently for the stakeholders, uh, for the investors, and etc., how high it is. You spend the time to to put that person up running. That person work uh, very well, and they just left the company. So. That also is kind of education back to our first uh, <laughs> first question, education and learning uh, that uh, the stakeholders, the investors, and et cetera, have to understand as well and to give more room to the data science team and embrace the data science team more as a part of the business. It's not a just technical uh, subject. You're a business person as well. You need to understand, you need to talk with them. That read, it's very, very important. Thanks, Adina, for the question. Uh, great question. I will build up a bit on what you and Antonio just said, because I couldn't agree more with, with the things you said. I would add, perhaps, that the first thing that I find key in retaining the, the good talents and attracting the good talents is finding a purpose. So also, like, giving them like the possibility to see how their work impacts the big picture in in the both in the short but in the long run as well so exactly as you said also Adina, like being transparent about where we are as, with our journey uh, but as well as uh, understanding what are the key elements for the company to work on for example sustainability how can data science for sustainability so that is one thing. Then, as mentioned also earlier, um, the interesting projects and continuous learning opportunities. And for this, I must say that I've acted a lot as a gatekeeper for the team. So protecting the team from getting requests about, for example, developing a Power BI dashboard, because that's not what data scientists should do. 
So I've been very protective. And one of my team members said I'm like a shield for, for, for these things. And those at the same time promoting the team around the company, like also you said, Antonio, that it's so important to also put give uh, recognize people, like put a face behind the work that has been done. So definitely promoting the team a lot in different forums in the company with different stakeholders um, and maybe also helping them to think a bit outside the box. So think about what could be achieved, for example, in safety using computer vision as an example. And uh, other things have been uh, organizing events. So we have organized a data hackathon last summer. It was the very first one that we had uh, internally. And it was a success and it was indeed also a way to learn to, to do things together and co-create and having this culture of experimenting because that is also a very important factor. So let the data scientists also experiment and find the optimal solution by themselves also in a way that not uh, don't tell them how to do the things. I think that has also, is also an important element. Um, yeah essentially these things from my side. Yeah, and from my side, I would say, I think we have covered most of the topics here, but uh, I would say um, that professional development that we already talked about, like continuous learning, I think we encourage everyone to, to take some time to do some learning, even though we have client work and we focus on development, we still need to take some time to learn. And um, that a strategy for us is that we try to do peer learning. So we go two and two, and then we help each other to motivate each other and, and, and build our milestone on top of that. Uh, another way could be like mentorship and coaching is very important. I, I feel like throughout my career, I always had someone, a role model that I looked up to and, and always went to if I had any questions. And I felt like it was so nice to to feel that I could keep learning from other senior people, but still being able to deliver on, on my own level. Uh, so that was something that I, I always looked for uh, as, as a data professional. And then the third part for me is the career pathway. I think even though we all have such like a data science background, it doesn't mean that we all end up in the same um, career path. So I think someone could, for example, be curious about business development. Others are more on the technical side, want to become like a architect, for example. So it's very important to make sure that we foster a culture of openness and making sure that we uh, we showcase a, a breadth of different data science paths. Amazing. Thanks. Thanks for that question, Adina. Isaac, can you share your question and give some context surrounding it? Yes, of course. Um, my question is a bit related to what we already talked about. So learning is key within data science and I have been driving a community of 20 people, uh, both data science and data engineering professionals. And I sometimes struggle with uh, knowledge sharing and making sure that we are keep learning from each other and having an engaged team. So people are doing different client related uh, stuff, but we need to make sure that we keep learning from each other and uh, we're helping each other. So my question is basically, what are your thoughts on how to build an effective knowledge sharing culture within your team? And I really thought about this uh, because people want to do knowledge sharing and having like a community that, that is vibrant and there's a lot of happening, but do they put some time into it? Not always. And one thing that I have seen so far is that they're promoting like peer learning that you learn from each other. You do you take courses, three, three people together that helps you to keep uh, in the loop. Uh, I also am making sure that we have a common ground in the, in the community so we understand, for example, what topics would we like to touch upon uh, during this knowledge sharing so that we are making sure that it's for them and not just for the purpose of doing things. And then my third 
thing that I've uh, understood is lead by example. So I think it's very important that team leaders and managers are showcasing that they're actively participating. And that can be uh, both as coming with feedback and, and rewards, but also being the one that is actually taking the uh, role as a presenter or leading the workshops. But let me hear what your thoughts are. I believe building a culture of sharing takes time and commitment. So we should not underestimate the effort that we need to put behind that. It's not just about people talking to each other or picking up the right platforms or tools to facilitate that kind of communication, I would say. It's about adding it as a part of the DNA of, of the team and of the organization. And one of the things that we have uh, we have done and I, f I found to be quite useful, actually, is to make this work with HR department and make this as part of the, the job description responsibility of every person that joins the organization and also part of the conversation uh, during the year-end review and year-end setting up the uh, year setting up the objectives. It's also because you 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 do you, you did mention there, Isaac, that it's about leading by example. That is not just about the direct leader of of the team of or, or the organization. Actually, it starts from the top. From the very top, we need to ensure that we promote the culture of sharing. And again, going back to the transparency, it's not just about sharing the knowledge, it's about sharing information and creating cross-functional teams through day-to-day -day work, through the different projects and, and use cases that people work together, they learn and they get to share with each other. Information that they then they get and they pass to other people with through the right channels that we 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 want to put in place. One thing that we have done as a, as example is lunch and learn, where people can come whether it's virtual or physical, depending on what works best for for the team. You bring your your lunch and then there's someone that shares what they have done or one piece of of um, of work that actually on the contrary, it didn't work. So please avoid this. Don't don't do it. Don't repeat the same mistake, which is many cases much more powerful than look what what a great thing i've done so uh <clears throat> for me uh sharing uh knowledge it's a it's a vital it's important and not just for data uh science team but across the board of the company in different uh departments it should be the role but the challenge for me is uh if the company uh does not have that kind of culture right because uh sharing knowledge it is a cultural thing it's a it's in the dna of the company or not because it's quite of challenge when you try to uh, create that kind of uh, or enforce that kind of uh, behavior if the company does not act like it because it something you know that doesn't match <laughs> you try to do inside of your team but you don't have support uh and uh, that is the a broader conversation that you should have with all the stakeholders so, okay guys if everybody want to grow here uh if you want to uh if you want to jump into another stage as a company we need to share information we need to share uh knowledge and how you, you we can do that as a company not just as a department or as an area because otherwise it would be very silos right if you don't have that kind of breed with uh everybody what the x and y part of the company are doing will be important to know for you especially in the data because we touch we have a you <laughs> touched all points of the company we serve all all company not just product marketing finance whatever might be uh it's important that they share the knowledge of, uh, with us as well because when they give that information, some, oh, you, you can do that things. And you also uh, create environment that innovation become very quickly, you know, because the data science team can, oh, you know, uh, they are doing that project, but we can help them uh, speed up or with that kind of experimentation, whatever, <clears throat> because we know what they are doing. So that's important uh, for me that uh, sharing knowledge is a, cultural thing inside of whole organization because based on uh, only my experience guys but when i try to do it in companies that does not appreciate or don't have that culture uh, i fail right uh, i fail 
basically, <laughs> dramatically. And uh, what I learned with that, say, okay, let's see what that company are doing in that uh, field. If I identify that we don't have that DNA or you know they don't care, let's talk first with the stakeholders and uh, do some uh, proof of concept, I can put it away inside of my team, that I can showcase for the company how it works and try to convince them to spread out that kind of culture across uh, the multiple departments. Uh, because, you know, uh, it's important. I like to do, for example, kind of data council that the uh, data scientists, data engineer teams can talk with each other and say what I'm doing that my project that I'm, I'm work on, what do you think? That the solution that I'm uh, I'm uh, developing, what do you think about that? Of course, also there's a challenge because you need to moderate, act as a moderator <laughs> in that discussion because sometimes people have a strong opinion for one thing and other things that collide each other and you have to be, you know, um, also act and understand how to avoid that conflict right uh, between them but for me it's a cultural across the border it's so important that it should be from the top and go down down and uh, that in that sense uh, sharing knowledge can work I cast doubt if we just as a data team as a uh, work of sharing knowledge yes we can succeed internally but we lose that contact you know the whole potential that the team because we don't know what other people are doing. Right. I, I have probably a very a bit of a different angle, actually, and I would think about the audiences for knowledge sharing, actually, because Isaac, you mentioned within a data science slash data engineering team how to share knowledge. And then, Antonio, I think you were more referring to also across borders within the organization. So I would say that on the practical side, how we organize is that we have actually two different, very different forums where we share knowledge. The, the one for the more generic audience where we have really polished presentations. Uh, we have this um, knowledge sharing sessions that are more structured, more thought, where we have also uh, the business owner of the solution together. So to share also the more the insights regarding values, value for the business, users, user experience. But then within the data science team, uh, since everybody is actually so busy, how to share knowledge and make it so that really everyone participates and the barrier to, to share is low. So we decided that actually we don't have any presentation with slides or anything. We actually do live demos. And sometimes they are just about very simple things. Sometimes they're just about tips and tricks about things that we tried. For example, how uh, how to work with long chain um, and hugging face. So just really small experiments that we do within a week and we meet weekly for that. And then still on the practical side for the knowledge sharing, we also have a catalog of our, our solutions with a wiki with, uh, with also what we tried and didn't work because as, as Adina also you said, it's important to share those experiences as well. They are most of the times more powerful than the great, the ones that worked really well. So my suggestion is on the practical side to also have some kind of documentation about projects that is accessible to, to many people. And then for the data scientists, we also have then a common repository where everyone can have then access to actual solutions and the code so not to reinvent the wheel every time amazing thank you for that uh, and thank you for the question isaac um antonio last but not least can you share your question and give us some context surrounding it sure well my question is uh, related to ai and data science right because we are the center of everything <laughs> so uh since Generative AI and OpenAI launch GPT 3.5, 4, etc. Uh, the world become very different. The job labor was different, was impacted uh, in different ways. Companies um, cross the border are laying off people, not, not, not because they are not efficient or because they are overstaffing, but because they are reshuffle the priorities in areas. Hey, we have that area, we'll close the it and uh, use that budget uh, to go deep in AI or 
some tools that uh, could be uh, related. So uh, AI will impact everybody in the beginning, at least for me, uh, when I started study AI a few years ago, uh, I thought that the first impact will be people uh, what's not highly skilled uh, workings, right? And we are seeing the opposite. Uh, we're seeing uh, highly skilled people that it's impacted with AI. And uh, our data science world also will be impacted, right? Uh, also, will be shuffle, will be some reshuffle priorities, uh, need new skills, learn uh, new things, find new talents, retain new talents. How the companies, how you guys are thinking uh, that shift and the impact uh, in our in the data teams and how you should manage it strategically because the things change uh, uh, in hours, right? Or what we discussed to, today in 15 days will be old. Uh, one new model is launched uh, some seconds, uh, each second, or even uh, things that you say, okay, companies sometimes take one decision to go in direction, but fast forward a couple months, couple months after it's old. And how do you think that change in the data uh, science world? What I try to do myself is training, talk with people, understand what they're doing, align with the business uh, side to see what really uh, could be applied uh, with the in the company, what's buzz and uh, what you know should, uh, what is not, or even uh, it's really worth build internally, use the data science team to build it, or we can use a third part that already developed it and you can speed up the process. It's one thing that uh, I'm doing. Another thing that I, uh, uh, I'm i very happy with that new part is what you said, uh, Francesca, that resonates a lot with me about when people ask for create Power BI dashboards for the data scientists and try to create the shield because that's not the function. And uh, now that new features with natural language will will help us uh, to, you know, uh, business people can just uh, write what they want and they can create easily uh, the reports and the pressure on us will be a little less. We need to, I hope in the future, uh, we won't be so, uh, won't be necessarily Say, hey guys, it's not what data scientists uh, should do or the smart way to uh, spend their time. So how do you think about that, guys? Or what do you think about that? Steve Jobs once said that AI is not just a tool, it's a catalyst for metamorphosis, for organizational metamorphosis. And I could not agree more, actually. We're, we're shifting to a human machine without going into the, the extreme that we're going to be taken over by robots and things like that. It's not about that. It's about the work that we do on a daily basis is changing. And there are activities that different roles across the organization are shifting from doing everything manually or everything fully dependent on that one very knowledgeable person, that expert, to a way to manage the business that is assisted by the AI solution, by the different ML models by the different data science solutions that we put out there. With that, I think it comes um, a, a change in in the mindset as well of how we approach the, the, the organization, how we approach the organizational structure as well. If we think from a specialization perspective, just to take some example, in the past 10, 15 years ago, we used to have one person that knew everything. It was that one person that knew how to build anything from a data pipeline to a database to a dashboard to what was the ancestor of data science today as well. Now what we see, we're creating dedicated roles and that's how we, we talk now about uh, the data scientist as a role because there is a need for that. So already we are shifting in, in, in that regard. We're automating decisions which require the, the, the human to have a different role in there. It's more putting in place the right protocols, monitoring. So it's it's kind of changing the, the, the content of that as well. I would say the biggest thing that has to, to come or has to be put in place in every organization is to put, and this might sound very controversial, so I'm going to, to, to give it a, a go there, to put 
um, competence or skills like flexibility and adaptability before knowledge. That doesn't mean knowledge um, and it doesn't, it should not exist and it doesn't mean that we're going to hire incompetent people, not at all. It just means we need to put way more importance and way more focus on how easy that person adapts to change because it's exactly as you said things are moving super fast we are changing from half an hour to half an hour we cannot afford to get stuck in into a certain point in the journey yeah and and i think that as you mentioned adina i think things are moving very fast now ai is more accessible easily accessible where we can build POCs now in days instead of weeks. Um, and I think it's on everyone's lips right now. How can we utilize Gen AI in, in our jobs? So I think the first thing is that uh, it will impact our job roles and skill set, how we uh, as a data science community see on data science. It will also impact on what can we do in the future? What is ethically doable? And I think responsible AI will be a key topic uh, going forward. We will in, need to invite uh, legal aspects. We need to make sure that the business side are comfortable doing these things. And these days we are putting a lot uh, of emphasis on the model instead of the data, because the data is already available in the platform. But one thing we need to make sure is all the issues with bias, fairness, transparency and understanding if the model is actually saying the truth or not. And that humans can do, but not the machines. So I think, as you said, Adina, in the beginning, I think machines will never like replace us, but it will always help us building uh, or taking a faster and better uh, decision. But humans are the best in deciding on what we can do. Actually, I, like I couldn't agree more. <laughs> Actually, so also thinking about future role of data scientists, I think there are some tasks that of course will be made easier by Gen AI. Um, but for example, if you think about sometime we don't have available data, but we can get some synthetic data. That's just one example. But then the, the looking at the role of the data scientists, well, it will become more and more important to be able to validate certain use cases, uh, to be able to find uh, kind of a the uh, to supervise these use cases, but also to maintain a proper governance around them. And you mentioned bias, ethics. So thinking, taking those considerations will become a more and more important part of uh, the data scientists work. And then as well to provide um, correct interpretations in a meaningful business context. I think also that's something that shouldn't be uh, forgotten. Amazing. Thanks everyone for sharing all your questions and answers so far. But before we go, I'd like to have um, a quick fire question that some data consultants requested I ask the panelists. What are the top three qualities of an effective manager? Now, some of the consultants that we um, have been working with are moving to management roles and they want to know what it makes an effective consultant. Top three qualities. Who would like to kick us off? I can go first there. I think it's inspire, listen, support. And if I am to further elaborate on it, as a leader, you have to be able to provide a vision. You have to put that motivation to the person to give them a reason why they should get off their bed in the morning and come and work for you and with you. That's the inspire. The listen, it's a feedback loop. We're, we're used to that. You, you as a leader, you need to understand what your team members need from you and what they need in order for them to be able to do their jobs. And you're there to remove the roadblocks. You are there to support them in every single minute of their work, which kind of covers the support elements as well. There is so much more than that, but if I am to pick top three, I would go for these ones. Yeah, I think you stole my my three top, Adina, uh, but uh, it's spot on, I think. Um, listening, inspiring, and making sure um, that you are setting a good example. 
Um, but on top of that, I think like showcasing like good work ethic is is really inspiring and making sure that everyone um, feel like you're a good team player. And also being structured and clear communications are also key aspects of it. Indeed, spot on both of you. So it's harder now to, to, <laughs> to come up with top three. So I will just add. Uh, add uh, on top of the communication part, uh, I would say being really transparent with the, with the feedback, both on the motivational part, but also on the developmental part, whenever someone needs to, to be uh, developing something. Uh, so uh, in my case, it was harder than everybody because <laughs> the last one, <laughs> I should say, and will be kind of a summary of what everybody uh, said uh, because I could not agree more. Uh, well, inspiration for me is, the, is, if I can put on the top of the list, inspiration uh, should be the top of the list because uh, if you're not able to inspire your team, it will be very complex. You convince them, you get along with them, and they respect you and they trust on you, right? Because that for me is a, is a so fundamental uh, that you, the leader can inspire others and be a trustworthy person. Uh, your team can, should trust on you. They should understand that you stand for them. You support them. Right. Uh, that also for me is uh, another key point. And uh, communication, communication, communication. Speak, talk, stay with them. Uh, that is uh, the third one. If you have that triad, we can, uh, in my opinion, we can be a good leaders and uh, foster a good environment and uh, keep the team motivated, retain talent and do an amazing job. Amazing. Thank you for that. Before we end our podcast, I'd like to say thank you to all our guests for sharing their thoughts. They've been Francesca from Sora Enzo, Adina from Electrolux, Isaac from Accenture, and last but not least, Antonio from Capital. Thank you.